The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawkbox, a two-speed recovery. China's manufacturing rebound continues with factory inflation rising for the first time in a year. But consumer prices slip into deflationary territory. An impeachment green light. Six Republican senators joined Democrats in voting to proceed with the trial against former President Trump for, quote, inciting insurrection. Twitter beats on earning its estimates but misses the mark on user growth. The CEO Jack Dorsey stresses the social media group is bigger than any one account in his first analyst call since banning Donald Trump from the platform. French bank Société Générale posts a fourth quarter net loss of 290 million euros but confirms its dividend target after setting aside less than expected for pandemic provisions. We'll be speaking with the CEO, Frederick O'Dare, in a first on CNBC interview at 7.30 CET. Last, we'll get the view from elsewhere in the C-suite as well. We're going to discuss the impact of COVID with the CFO of ABN AMRO and the heads of Societe Generale, Smurfit Kappa, Mayers, Heineken, Trivago and Vestas. All ahead on this edition of Scorebox. So very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Good to see you. Good to see you, Karen. Well, you've certainly brightened up. Uh, is, a, is a man allowed to pay a lady a compliment still in these Absolutely. wokeful days? Absolutely. Yes. Good, good. Well, lovely. You're brightening up the set Thank this you. morning. Um, let's have a, as for us, boring old tie, <laughs> boring old jacket. Still looking very chic. Thank you. You're very kind. Very kind. Uh, and on that love fest, let's move on and tell you about the SOC Gen numbers this morning. So as Karen pointed out in the headline here, we've got a, a net loss, 290 million uh, euros on the fourth quarter here. But the market will take this as a headline beat. The uh, fourth quarter group revenue in at 5.84 billion. Again, uh, a reflection of a reduction in activity. We were 6.21 billion euro for the year ago period. The uh, company says uh, fourth quarter net income attributable to equity holders at 470 million euros as against the 654 million euro a year ago. The bank has put the fourth quarter cost of risk uh, at 85.7%. Um, at 689 million euros. I know the market was looking for a bad loan provision number around the 993. So again, that may be seen as a, a slight positive in terms of the takeaway this morning. Uh, the um, company, what else can I find you here? The, the, I think the interesting story that we'll want to dive into with the um, head of the bank this morning is, is really largely around the expectations on the equity and the, uh, the fixed income trading 
revenue going forward here because uh, there is a line in these numbers that there was a lag in debt trading contributing to the numbers. So we'll want to get into a conversation about that when we catch up with uh, Frederick Udea a little later on, the CEO of SOCGEN here, because as we know, for a lot of the American banks that are reported through this period, the uptick in trading activity has flattered their numbers. And it's really been a story of the um, investment banks who've been able to take uh, advantage of this uptick uh, inactivity as against the the retail and the wholesale banks who perhaps or the consumer banks maybe I'll put it like that the consumer banks that have perhaps had less opportunity given how suppressed economic activity has been by the COVID lockdowns but as I say it's a first on interview at 7.30 Central European time we will catch up with Frederick Udea and find out how his uh, strategy at the bank is paying off at this point. A Monday number is also crossing for the fourth quarter and we've had uh, some changes in the C-suite as well. So a bit to unpick uh, for this final quarter. Assets under management at $1.72 billion at the end of the year. Uh, it reported uh, Q4 inflows of $14.4 billion. Uh, net inflows excluding joint ventures at $29.8 billion. Uh, don't forget at the six-month mark there had been a little bit of a concern around uh, some of those inflows as they were also were swamped by outflows around the short-term money market funds. So there were a few gyrations around the pandemic, but uh, the inflows picking up that fourth quarter. The dividend policy has uh, resumed. They proposed a dividend of uh, €290 per share. On the revenue line, that's up 1.6% year over year, up 15.9% quarter over quarter. So that fourth quarter uh, showing uh, some revenue improvement. The adjusted gross operating income at 360 million euros, that is up 0.7% year over year. But again, the quarter, I think it's really interesting if you start breaking down by quarter, up 17.2%. So what we've got, uh, just those couple of lines I mentioned around the C-suite changes, Eve Perrier, who has been the CEO of the company since inception back in 2010, will now step up to the chairman role, uh, chairman of the board of directors, and Valerie Baldson will succeed him as Monday's CEO. She had been uh, waiting in the wings as deputy CEO, so uh, the changes are taking place on that front. Uh, Steve, on that note, I'm going to hand it over to you. Good morning, Karen. Yeah, I too have tried to brighten up Jeff's day with a white shirt and a dark blue tie, <laughs> as ever. Right, OK, look, whisper this. I think I've seen some good news over at Tissen Krupp. No, really, honestly, uh, the perennial underachiever and slicer off of its former conglomerate status uh, looks like it's actually outperformed on many measures on the numbers I'm looking at now. So let's go through it. They've raised their 2020 to 2021 outlook due to improved demand for materials and automotive components as well. Of course, we know that same problem has affected the chip industry as well. But they say now expect annual sales to grow in high single digit range versus the previous forecast of low to mid single digit. They say they're now almost at break even on adjusted operating profit level in 2020 to 2021. The previous forecast was for mid triple digit uh, euro losses at an operating level as well. They now expect free cash flow before M&A to move towards a negative 1 billion. Uh, the previous figure was negative 1.5. So on every measure, 
they seem like there's an improvement. But what about the steel division, I hear you say? Because, of course, only in the last couple of weeks, uh, we're still pondering what Martina Merz's strategy uh, is going to be on the steel. Is it core to the strategy of Tissen going forward, or, or will it be offloaded uh, to various suitors as well? But the steel division swung to an adjusted operating profit. It was incy-wincy, but it was a profit. 20 million euros uh, versus the year loss previously. Uh, in the uh, that's in the first quarter, beg pardon, versus the year earlier loss of 127 million. Quick look at the shares for you as well. This is a share which hit uh, at that March low of everybody uh, had in many of these corporates, three euros 28. They're back up at 9.94, but nowhere near uh, the 25 euros, 25 euros they were trading uh, just a couple of years ago, Jeff. But what else are you looking at, Jeffrey? You look very smart in your blue tie this morning and your jacket. Let me let me say that. I, I, I can be an equal opportunities um, flatterer. Uh, you look lovely yeah. this morning, Mr. Sedgwick. Yeah, you're a bit woke today, aren't you? I am trying you, my you, best not to get into trouble. You're going back woke, being equal <laughs> opportunities, I know. You know, you know what it's like. Uh, you're in the same situation, I, I know. You, you, you put a word wrong at home and you immediately get it in the neck from your teenage daughters. You're not allowed to say that anymore, Daddy. Like okay, fine. I was I'm just talking about by strong women at home. Just talking about check. which way to open my egg, but apparently that's no longer allowed. Uh, you have to do it the bulbous end. Right. Uh, it's all right. That's a that's a whole other story. Let me move on very quickly and let's talk about the Heineken numbers here. Then um, Heineken always uses this very interesting measure when you analyse the numbers here before exceptional items and amortisation of acquisition related intangible assets, or what they describe as BEIA. And on that basis, uh, the group's given us a uh, an operating profit on organic growth down thirty five point six percent. The margin in at 12.3, but down 455 basis points. The net profit coming in on that basis at 1.15 billion. That's uh, off 49.4% organically. A diluted uh, earnings per share number in at 2 euros. Consolidated uh, beer volume down 8.1% organically. Net revenue uh, on the BEIA basis uh, down 11.9% here. So clearly there are some challenges uh, related to the impact of the pandemic. The um, company giving us a a line. Uh, We expect revenue operating profit and operating profit margins to stay below the level of 2019. And of course, the problem uh, you've got if you are a drinks company at the moment, and we spend a lot of time, I think, talking to Ivan Menezes about this over at Diageo, is while home drinking seems to be relatively firm at the moment, in spite of people taking January off, um, the uh, out-of-home sales through the restaurants and off-licenses and so forth has not been as strong and clearly that is impacting volumes. Yeah, we talk about a recovery trade on markets and these are some of the stocks we're effectively flagging up. Uh, they've had a little bit of a bounce off lows but not fully recovered because you know the, the lack of uncertainty around when social distancing measures can end in restaurants, pubs can operate as per normal is still a huge question mark so you've not seen a full recovery in some of these stocks. Uh, just one other line to point out, there's a lot of FX impact in some of these numbers we've been reporting this week and you saw it again in Heineken as they're talking about the transactional uh, effect on uh, some of these numbers because of F- 
FX. And I think that's just uh, an interesting one. We had a, a little bit of a fluctuation, didn't we, on the FX markets. And uh, we've even seen in the overnight session that the dollar's now reversed again. But, you know, the dollar has been a fairly strong trade. Uh, Euro's been a little bit stronger, but the EM currencies have been a little bit weak during uh, some of these uh, periods that they've been trading. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which, which are all great points for us to put to the CEO. And we'll get into that whole issue of what they describe as the on-trade business, i.e. basically bars, restaurants, coffee shops, clubs, hotels, etc. We will catch up with the CEO, Dolph Vandenbrink, later today. Uh, we will have that conversation. It's a first on CNBC interview at 8.20 Central European time. Is this all about COVID and the pandemic or are there some other business and structural challenges as far as Heineken is concerned? Uh, please stay with us as we get into that uh, discussion. We're also going to talk to ABN AMRO's CFO, Clifford Abrams, as the Dutch lender declines to propose a dividend for 2020. That conversation coming up after the break. And for the latest earnings and the broader market moves, you can check out the Sportbox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Let me take you just on the market action we saw stateside. A lot of intraday records eked out for the Dow and the S&P, but not holding on to those numbers by the finish and just flipping into the red, as you can see, not by much, uh, just a slight fade. But the Nasdaq holding on to those fresh records as it uh, eked out more territory and closed above 14 thousand points as you can see in session uh, the uh, bounce about a tenth of a percent higher so much stronger indications and uh, microsoft uh, having uh, the impact on the nasdaq elsewhere it was apple for the s p home depot for the dow but uh, let's just switch over and take a look at what we're seeing elsewhere in some of the other markets a little bit more appetite around some of these foreign exchange trades a uh, dollar has been a little bit on the back foot as a result we've seen a bit of a decline take place in the greenbacks fortunes around a two-week low is what we've witnessed across a basket of current is non-sterling. That means we're perched at 138.20 roughly. Uh, that's some of the highest levels we have witnessed on the currency trade uh, since about April 2018. Uh, we got to this level uh, in the trading session roughly uh, yesterday in the last 24 hours or so. The euro dollar trade 121.24. Also a little bit more uh, appetite there and improvement from what we've witnessed in euro dollar fortunes of late. Dollar yen, uh, given the safe haven nature of that currency, 104.58. So fairly flat in the session. Dollar gaining versus the Chinese yuan at this point and uh, within sight of a two and a half year high as we've been trading. And let's take a look at uh, the cryptocurrencies as a result uh, of some of these Forex trades. Bitcoin just coming off a little bit uh, in the early morning session as you can see. So uh, not farther off its record high. Ethereum, which has been the second most popular trade of currency you can see on the boards there, it did hit a, a record high. 
A uh, quick look at what we're seeing elsewhere on the oil trade. It's been a very strong trade. Uh, 30 month highs is where we've been, we've been trading after a seven day winning streak. This morning on Brent, uh, we're inching high at 61.13. And on WCI, just peeling off some of those levels at 58.33. Curiously, as we saw, a little bit more appetite in the oil trade yesterday. It wasn't really reflected in the energy basket of stock stateside. A bit of selling in Chevron and ExxonMobil. A uh, quick look at the Asian markets. It's a curious day of trade that's taking place. A lot of interest in the Chinese markets again. Now, don't forget they will be going on the, the long break for the Lunar New Year holiday. And what we've had around the Shanghai Composite trading around a five-year high, although it's been eclipsed by the, the CSI 300, where you've seen a rally to a 13-year high. So stocks being picked up for the Chinese markets today. We also did see some interesting numbers on the factory gate prices, where there's been a bit of a push higher on those prices as there's been demand for all sorts of stay-at-home products. But that said, uh, the plus 0.3% year-over-year we saw there in the month of January offset at the consumer price level. It wasn't the same level of pricing pressure there. We saw a decline of 0.3 of a percent. But uh, away from uh, those numbers, you can see it is mostly a stronger day. Hong Kong also solid, uh, just drifting off that 30,000 point mark, but a pop of near on 1.8%. More cautious around Australia and Japan, but in the green at this stage. The opening calls, Europe yesterday, it was a bit of a struggle to get ahead on the, the benchmark on the stocks Europe 600. You had a very mixed performance across these markets, a slight inching ahead for the FTSE where we gained about a tenth of a percent along with the French market. German stocks are weaker and so were Italian stocks down about half of a percent. But this morning we look like we will be in lockstep chasing a little bit of green at the start of the session. But if you've been tuned in since the start of this program, you're probably aware it's a very busy earnings season today. So we might be a little bit busy chasing some individual stock reactions on the market open, which may influence the board you're seeing behind me. So ABN AMRO has posted a loss of 45 million euros for 2020. As the lender said, pressure on deposit margins continue to impact net interest income. The Dutch bank also added it will not pr propose a dividend for this share. Well, he's off. We knew it since November, but Clifford Abrahams, the CFO of ABN AMRO, in one of his last big jobs at ABN AMRO, is going to talk to us. So uh, Clifford, always a pleasure speaking to you, sir. Um, it's the same old problem, isn't it? You've got bundles of regulatory capital, but when you've got negative deposits out there, very, very tough to turn that into NIMS and net interest income? You know, look, the environment is tough from, from the bank's perspective and all banks and in fact many companies with very low rates, um, the economy is really suffering from the lockdown. So naturally our clients' funding needs are lower and, uh, and volumes are difficult to build. Um, but the Dutch economy, where most of our businesses has been highly resilient and we expect a strong rebound um, you know, really through the summer. And so we're well placed to capitalize on that rebound when it takes place. Has your bank got the right strategy? And of course, I say your bank, only your bank for 18 more days, Clifford. But it's, I think that the FT called it late last year, shrink to fit or shrink fit uh, of the bank. Let me get this right, shrink fit, yes. Uh, and, and like you've missed out on some big opportunities by, 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 by making the, 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 the investment bank, for instance, a lot smaller. All that commodities trading could have been rather interesting in the last year as well. So is there an ambitious enough strategy over ABN AMRO? Yeah, you're referring to the decisions we took last year to exit corporate banking outside Northwest Europe, yeah, the likes of commodity uh, banking and so on. And we've made really good progress 
uh, shrinking that business and releasing capital, which is why we've got such very strong capital position. Our CT1 ratio is nearly 18%. So ABN AMRO, which is a, a, a bank with a proud history, um, wants to focus on Northwest Europe, where our core franchises are. And we've got great businesses here. We're a universal bank uh, in the Netherlands. We also have um, substantial private banking operations in Germany, Belgium, and France. And we want to broaden that out to deliver corporate banking services alongside the private bank in those core markets. So we've got our costs under control. As you see, our capital position is strong. So we're well-placed to execute our strategy as the economy approves through this year. What, what more can you tell us about the, um, the sell-down of the assets then in the CIB businesses? Because um, I, I re- recall when we talked to you back when the announcement was made, I think, what, Q2, Q3, you said we're not going to indulge in a fire sale. But, but surely the atmosphere doesn't get any better, does it, for selling uh, these kind of businesses? Um, can you tell us any more about what you're hoping to raise from these uh, operations? Yes, quite right. You're quite right. Uh, last year, we said we'd take our time to safeguard value. But also, markets have been strong. We've seen uh, oil prices and other commodity prices recovering. We're seeing good liquidity, so our clients are able to find financing elsewhere. And as a consequence, we've been able to uh, wind down that business by nearly half already. Uh, we said it critically that that, um, that that wind down, we wanted to be capital accretive, so we wanted to get capital out. And so far, after six months, it has been capital accretive. And we expect uh, we're looking to release up to two and a half billion of capital from that business. And so far, so good. We'll make steady progress from here. And where we see opportunity to accelerate by, for example, selling our loans, we'll take those opportunities while safeguarding value for the bank. Bank has talked about the lower impairment levels expected uh, going forward. Um, But much of that seems to be very dependent on the path of the vaccine programmes and the path of COVID-19 itself. Um, We've seen perhaps a few missteps in the rollout of the vaccine programme in continental Northern Europe. Um, Is that going to slow the pace at which these impairment numbers improve? Well, we've seen impairments down in Q4 2020 and for the second half of 2020 down on the first half. And we've said consistently we expect impairments to be lower in 21. Now, that view is based on a recovery of the economy during that period, not just in the Netherlands, but globally. And while, as you say, the vaccine uh, rollout has been slower uh, in, in continental Europe than other markets, uh, we do expect that to continue to make steady progress through the summer, and that will fuel the recovery, which I think we all expect. The Dutch economy in particular has been resilient. The housing market continues to improve, actually, in the Netherlands. So as, as, as sentiment improves through the summer, we do believe the economy will improve, investment will improve, and importantly, we expect our clients to start to borrow again, and the bank will benefit from that. Clifford, I want to get into the cost savings. It's uh, been flagged up again in the numbers today, the, the 700 million euros that you're aiming to extract by 2024. The reason cited had been the, the digitization process, uh, future-proofing the bank. What does that really mean as we talk about jobs being taken out of the business? How does uh, this acceleration in digital alter the way the bank operates? Well, we announced that program of 700 million cost savings in November, and that means up to around 15% of our staff 
you know, will go over the next four years. So we'll we'll take our time to steadily digitize the business. What that means, uh, it means at the front end in terms of our customers, uh, they're choosing to increasingly engage with us digitally. So, and we've seen that in the last year under COVID, but even before that, through video banking, like we're doing just now, and we'll consistently take our branch numbers down. We're around 100 branches now for, uh, in the Netherlands, and we'll continue to do that. We're also simplifying our product range. So a bank such as ABN AMRO accumulates a number of products over time, and we want to simplify that and ensure that they're digitized end-to-end. So from, from how our customers engage with us, right the way through to our reports and accounts. But importantly, we'll have people and we'll have uh, services on site uh, to give our clients the personal service they're looking for alongside that digital experience. Clifford, I want to ask you a little bit about the dividend because we've seen banks uh, right across Europe from Germany to Spain declaring dividend payments at this point, but you're not proposing one for 2020, although a very strong capital position, arguably stronger than a lot of European banks. Why are you not going down the road at this point of paying out to shareholders? Well, we're following the ECB's dividend recommendation. And in fact, in 2020, as you said, we made a modest loss. Uh, So while impairments are down, we've still made a modest loss for 2020, so no dividend for 2020. For full year 19, we have um, reserved the full year dividend that we uh, proposed in full year 19. So it's still on our balance sheet. It's not included in our capital ratios. That's a little over 600 million euros. And we're well placed to pay that out when the ECB's dividend ban expires, which we expect later in the year in Q4. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.